Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Does your brand stand out from the crowd? It's hard. That's why hundreds of agencies and marketers build their programmatic and native advertising offering with StackAdapt. Read their success stories at stackadapt.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-A-D-A-P-T dot com. Hey, everybody, it's David. Before we get started on this week's episode, I just want to let you know that this is our 99th episode, which means... As you can imagine, the next one is our 100th, and that's a big milestone for us. So I have two requests for you. One is we want your questions. We want to answer as many questions from listeners as we can. Uh, We did this on our 50th episode, and it was a blast. So, uh, yeah, send us your questions about advertising, about Adweek, about podcasting, whatever you got. We will try to answer as many as we can. You can send those to podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. Other request, if you haven't already, uh, man, it would mean a lot if you could leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts and uh, just go and leave a rating, a star rating and a review. If you've been listening for a while, we love hearing feedback. And uh, yeah, we'd love to get as many of those as we could. It helps uh, new people find the show. Uh, and also, we just love hearing what you think of it. So send your questions into podcast at adweek.com and uh, leave us a review if you don't mind. And now, on to this week's show. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, TV, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor for Adweek. And with me, as he often is, is Doug Zanger, a senior editor, also with me on the creative beat. Doug, how you doing? Hello. It's fall in the Northwest. Yay. Yeah, good to hear someone's getting nicer weather, and uh, it's still grizzly hot where I am in Alabama, uh, but New, York, I, New York's New got to be at the tipping point, uh, and to, to check in on the weather, uh, which is why I bring you guys on, Jason Lynch, our TV media editor. Jason, great to have you back. How is it in New York right now? It uh, f- This is the first day in a year, a month, <laughs> a week, that it is not, uh, it's not more than 90 degrees, so... So we're very happy. Uh, also enjoying the fine weather in our Hell's Kitchen headquarters is Diana Pearl, staff writer covering the brand marketing beat. Diana, this is the first time we've had you on the podcast. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Excited to be here. How long have you been at uh, Adweek now? It's been about three months. And where were you before? I worked at People Magazine. Ah, much mm. like Jason Lynch, TV media. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Two people, people, former people, people. (laughs) Well, great. Uh, Well, we have so much to talk about today, so we are going to dive on in. It's going to be a little bit uh, different of format because the big big discussion of the week, which we usually save to the end, is also the big news of the week. Of course, we're talking Colin Kaepernick and Nike. uh, And so we're going to have, we have so much to talk about there. We're just going to kind of hold it for just a minute. So stay with us and we'll get through some other quick headlines and ads we're watching. And then we're going to just dive on deep into Kaepernick. Uh, But first, let's talk about some other news. 
right. This is a little plug for we've got so much going on on Adweek.com this week. Uh, we've got a new issue in print, uh, hitting up lots of big issues, consultancies. Uh, I'm not even going to get into my own article uh, this week about branded hip hop tracks, uh, which I recommend checking out if you've been following things like the Wendy's uh, mixtape called We Beefin' and uh, the Hamburger Helper mixtape <laughs> and uh, the the current hot banger, which is uh, the Chef Boyardee collaboration of Lil Yachty and Donny Osmond. Uh, and we asked three music experts, including a Grammy-winning and multi-platinum uh, producer for Drake uh, and for uh, lots of other musicians, a guy named Needles. Uh, we asked uh, several folks to weigh in on, are these tracks any good? And, uh, you know, are they good ads? So you can check that out on the site. Won't get too much in that. But we also have our city spotlight on Washington, D.C. We try to visit a few different markets uh, from time to time outside of New York and L.A., uh, and uh, the newest one is D.C., which is a fascinating uh, community. Uh, I lived in D.C. for several years. I still have a special place in my heart, but, man, it is, it's changing fast, uh, and not just because of the politics. Honestly, if anything, maybe in, in, uh, in you know, kind of diametric opposition to the politics, it's becoming this uh, really uh, fantastically interesting cosmopolitan place. Uh, we've got some, some great articles in there. I just wanted to hit up uh, real quick. Uh, we have a story about how DC became uh, the you know the top city for uh, inclusive and female driven entrepreneurship. Uh, we we feature quite a few uh, women who've started businesses. Some you may have heard of. Some are uh, a little small and growing very quickly. Uh, the one one of the better or two of the better known ones, if you watch TV quite a bit, are uh, Georgetown Cupcake it was founded by two sisters and became the topic of the uh, I think several years running a reality show called DC Cupcakes. Uh, I think that was on TLC, Jason. You remember that one? Uh, I do because, again, we were just talking about people. We would get uh, cupcakes, I think, from them a lot. So, <laughs> were they yeah. good? I, I, uh, they were good, although then there was also Georgetown Cupcakes, right, which is separate from DC Cupcakes. No, George, no DC, DC Cupcakes was, became, about was about Georgetown Cupcakes. Yeah. Yeah. So the cupcakes are very good. I couldn't tell you about the show, though. Yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> It's like they, there's a bit of brand confusion there because a lot of people do remember DC Cupcake being the name. But uh, we caught up with them to find out kind of what's been going on, how they've been building that out into a national chain uh, of gourmet cupcakes since the, the show ended. Uh, we also – there was a Shark Tank winner called Stella Val, which is a, uh, a jewelry for – basically created by uh, female army veterans for uh, women warriors, they call it. And uh, so like I said, they won Shark Tank. Uh, so we feature the, we feature one of the sisters that founded that. Uh, we've also got Shelly Bell, who uh, – so we've got a list of rising brand stars. Uh, so people that you may or may not have heard of who are kind of growing into these iconic figures in the community. Uh, Shelly Bell uh, founded a, a organization called Black Girl Ventures, uh, which is a foundation that helps women of color start, uh, start new businesses, which has been phenomenally successful. Uh, there's a woman named Deanna Dorsey uh, who's founded a uh, clothing retail called District of Clothing uh, that's become very popular, and she's also involved in a lot of others. I, I could keep going, but some of the other brands that you'll find on there uh, that we feature, uh, Molly Catalano, who's the CMO of Five Guys, uh, I interviewed her and did a news piece on Five Guys, what they've been up to. They have just been exploding in growth, uh, you know, opening about 100 locations a year, which is a little less than they used to. They used to open, you know, like about maybe five, five, six, seven years ago, they were opening 200, 300 locations a year. Uh, they, and so they have gone all over the world. 
Um, but the the big thing is they were famously one of those brands that never ran ads. Like people always listed them as like brands that never advertise. Uh, they advertise now. Uh, they've for the last three years or so they've been quietly running digital ads, but they still put the vast majority of their quote unquote marketing dollars into secret shoppers. Which is kind of fascinating. Like, if any of you have worked in retail, anyone listening to this, you you probably shudder a little bit when you hear the phrase yes. <laughs> "secret shopper." It is a a constant terror in most places. Uh, supposedly, Five Guys makes a very positive experience where if you if you create a good experience for the secret shoppers and they send multiple every week to every location, uh, then they dole out bonuses to everyone who works at that location. And and it comes out to like $22 million in bonuses wow. given out each year. So that is, that like dwarfs their market, their advertising budget, which is only a few million. Uh, so fascinating chain, fascinating company um, and trying to stay true to its roots without, you know, and they've got increasing competition as we all know the burger, gourmet burger field, man, uh, with Shake Shacks and everybody. It's a way more crowded space than it used to be. Uh, so that's my that's my quick plug. Doug, you did one of our interviews on uh, the Washington Capitals, which won the Stanley Cup for the first time ever uh, this past season. Uh, and you talked to their CMO of their parent company, right? Right. So Hunter Lockman, who he has a really interesting pathway because he he you would think that going to Washington D.C. with all its all of its intensity would be a tough it'd be a tough thing. But Hunter Lockman worked for the New York Knicks back uh, back when they were winning like 29, 30 games a year. And then he went to the frying pan that is the University of Michigan, uh, leading, leading marketing there. And he's been with the company called Monumental for about two years. And it was really interesting because you think D.C., you, just, you, you think of just this one very compact area. But what I found interesting is that they market to a much wider base than people realize. So you've got Richmond, Virginia, heading north to, to Baltimore in that entire area. So it, it was really fascinating to hear how they approach marketing and how they approach the region. Um, and they don't just have the Capitals. They have the Washington Wizards. They have the Washington Mystics of the WNBA, and they have a couple of arena football teams. And it's it's really a fascinating organization, but it was interesting talking to him because I asked him to go back to you know the history of the Knicks. He was very diplomatic, as one could one could guess. Uh, but it seemed like that that was a really good proving ground, both in New York and in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, and he just it just sounds like he's having fun, and that organization just really looks like a really solid organization, not just from a business perspective, but they're really deep into the community. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really, really fun conversation with him. Yeah. Well, definitely encourage everyone to check it out. I barely even scratched the surface of the different brands we cover in there, uh, like a local brewery, DC Brow, which is the first one to package beer in, in DC in over 50 years. Um, and then from the TV side, uh, Jason's team pitched in some profiles, uh, my favorite being Margaret Brennan and Mary Hager, the host and uh, executive producer of CBS's Face the Nation. I mean, that is a as a many decades old uh, show, right, Jason? It is. And, um, you know, it was really kind of fascinating to me to hear them talk about uh, the difference between D.C. media versus New York media. You know, we, we talk all the time about how, you know, it seems, and you know, as I'm saying this from New York, you know, it feels like you are the center kind of the media world here. But uh, that's certainly not the case, you know, for, for, for them uh, down in D.C. And it's, it was it was interesting to kind of hear them talk about um, what it, what it's like and, you know, what, what the media spotlight is there compared to here in New York. 
Yeah. Well, definitely recommend everyone check out our uh, DC City Spotlight, especially the Rising Brand Stars Gallery. You'll you'll discover a lot of new people at brands you're probably familiar with and some that you're not. So definitely check that out. All right. We are, before we get into, again, our big discussion of Colin Kaepernick and Nike, uh, let's talk about a few ads worth watching this week. All right, uh, Doug, I asked you to pick out a few favorites uh, from this week. And uh, what, what have you got for us? Uh, there's a Colin Kaepernick ad. Was that one? Oh, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that one in a minute. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. I, I guess I wasn't paying attention. Uh, no, we had a couple. Uh, there's been some really strong stuff coming in lately and some really nice work from BBDO uh, for FedEx. And what I, what I really liked about this and again, we, we go back to this whole idea of pacing and, and some of these some of these nerdy craft things. But what I really liked is th- there was a, there was a series of spots, and the main anchor one is a story about a man who receives a a photo from the twenties or thirties from Europe, and it's very sentimental to him. But what's interesting about the spot is that they take him along in the journey in real time in the twenties or thirties when this actually takes place. Um, but what I really liked about it is that these were actual interesting stories. It didn't, there, there was, they weren't intense. They were just really interesting to watch. And you thought, where is this going to go? And the whole notion of this is that FedEx is not necessarily selling package delivery, but selling memories and selling important things to, um, to families and to people. Um, but overall, I just I thought they were really, really well done, and they're very different from what you would expect from that category. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Yeah, what's funny is in one day we had two FedEx headlines. We had these wonderful new ads from BBDO, and then we also had a 2005, uh, for, for sad reasons, a 2005 piece from BBDO for FedEx, which is uh, starring Burt Reynolds, who passed away this past week at 82. And man, what, what an interesting contrast. You've got this hilarious 2005 slapsticky uh, uh, Super Bowl ad where Burt Reynolds literally fights a bear. Right, a he does talking fight a bear. bear. He ta- fights then, a talking bear, yes. And then, <laughs> and then dances with it and gets kicked in the crotch. Um, you know, and so, <laughs> and so it was just kind of interesting to me that we had this, like, in contrast to these really sentimental. There's a, one of the FedEx spots, any parent will. Uh, will will man? It hit me right. In the, oh, right I got in the gut. I got misty. I got so misty on that one. Oh, I'm it's such a like I'm a, such a wuss. It's a it's a family losing one of the daughter's two loveys. She has a tortoise and a hare, and she loses the hare, um, and or tortoise. Sorry, she loses the tortoise. She loses the tortoise. Uh, yeah. And man, as a parent who has lost the lovey like several times and ushered in just a terrifying era. Of oh god, what happened to it? And like, man, that ad—it's—it's it's too perfect. Like, it captures that experience yeah. so well that I was like, oh, this—this uh, this reminds me of some rough, rough days. Um, but uh, yeah, were there any that have good audio we can listen to? I know a lot of them are just music driven. Yeah, there are a couple. So there, there are four in the series, and there are a couple that. Oh, the one that I thought was really interesting was one called Opportunity. Which is a reverse chronology of uh, of a, a, apparently a husband and wife, I think, um, building a baking business, and it was really interesting. I thought it was this very interesting mm-hmm. reverse chronology. Uh, and then what's inside is probably a little bit more of what you would expect of a classic type of ad that has a little bit more of uh, a little bit more voiceover. It's a little more explanatory. 
but again, going back to the theme that they're not just delivering packages, they're delivering things that are very special. Yeah, let's listen to the one. What, what's the one called about the uh, the couple running the business? Oh, that's Opportunity. That's Opportunity. Yeah, let's, let's listen to that. It's, uh, again, this told in reverse order. So uh, let's say couple kind of in a kitchen going through uh, be- telling backward the story of their business. Let's listen to that. One millionth order. Millionth order. There goes our first big order. 44, 45, 46. How many of these did they order? Oh, that's hot. You know, we could sell these. Nah. We don't bake. Opportunity. What we deliver by delivering. Diana, did you get a chance to watch these? Yeah, I watched the um the one of the delivery where he goes back to the the wedding with the photo, and I thought that was so poignant and sweet. Um, and really, I like it captured the like historical vibe very well, is very well. So I was impressed. Yeah, what, what these you know what these ads do, and what impresses me most is that they do it in very different stylistic ways. Uh, is they capture this that excitement and mystery about a box showing up on your doorstep, right? Uh, and like, it's something where my kids freak out. Even if I tell them it's nothing interesting, I, I promise you it's nothing interesting. And they are <laughs> like, they are just like shaking until it's open, you know? And and my, you know, everyone's like that. It's like some part of you is just like, I need to see what's in the box. And sometimes it's a exciting thing and it's sometimes an emotional thing. But, um, you know, BBDO, to their credit, really found uh, a lot of ways to to convey that emotion in different ways. Uh, there was one other spot, well, one other campaign I wanted to talk about quickly just because it is such great audio. Uh, Jason, to put you on the spot, when I say H. John Benjamin, what do you think of? I think of Archer first yes. because um, I've always watched that before Bob's Burgers, but obviously Bob's Burgers is the is the more successful show, but he will always be Archer to me. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Diana, are, have you been a fan of any of the H. John Benjamin catalog? I have not seen Archer or Bob's Burgers, <laughs> so nothing to to. Input. <laughs> well, he has uh, been a voice actor for many years. Uh, some people probably know what he looks like. He certainly hasn't hid his face. Um, he was in a, a parody of a Lowe's ad, I think, uh, from a while ago. But um, he, uh, John Benjamin's been around a long time. He, I, I discovered him on Dr. Katz, if anyone's old enough to remember mm-hmm. that. Yep. And uh, and then he was on, oh, what's the, what's the cartoon where he was the gym teacher? Listeners are going to be going oh, nuts that I can't uh... remember this. Uh, something about home video. Come on, Jason. <laughs> don't. don't let us I'm down. I think it's like home movies or something. Um, but anyway, so John Benjamin's been coming up uh, off and on for for years, and his voice is just so memorable, honestly, because it doesn't really change that much. It's like the no. same in almost every role, except what I love is that Archer is kind of excited about everything, and Bob's Burgers, like Bob, is just exhausted by everything. So anyway, long story short, John Benjamin is the face, not just the voice, of the new Arby's ads where he is some kind of sandwich, head of sandwiches for Arby's. He's like the chef, chef running their sandwiches. And he wants you to know that they have more than just roast beef. Let's listen to a little of that, mostly just as an excuse so we can listen to John Benjamin talking. (laughs) Most people still think that Arby's only serves roast beef sandwiches. Well, if that's the case, we sure have a lot of odd-looking roast beef sandwiches. This roast beef sandwich looks a lot like a smoked brisket sandwich. This one here looks like a Reuben. It's uncanny. And these are the strangest-looking roast beef sandwiches I've ever seen. I agree, Chef. Thank you. 
All right, so you can check those out on adweek.com. They, man, they made a whole mess of those uh, ads. They're all, you know, some are better than others. Um, but uh, yeah, it's great. It's just I great like to see them. Him. I like yeah. them. You know, he looks, they, he looks like uh, he he looks like Mike Byrne from Anomaly. If you if you put the two, <laughs> that's a pretty deep cut. Set. No, the, that, is a, uh, that is a deep cut. <laughs> um, no, he, uh, yeah, I mean, it's he's. He, he doesn't have like a face for Hollywood, so it's no it's no real shock. But Aww. he's he's lovable, like he's lovable. Um, I, I think John Benjamin, by the way, put out a jazz album without being able to play the piano, if I remember right. Like he he plays the piano and doesn't know how. And I listened to about thirty seconds of it. I was like, that's a funny joke that I don't need to actually listen to. But the dude's super creative. All right, it is time to move on to our big discussion of the week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back to talk about all things Kaepernick and Nike. Oh, we got a lot to talk about. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Stack Adapt, the number one programmatic native advertising platform with the right tools for navigating the complexities of digital media. Stack Adapt offers real-time forecasting, hypergranular reporting, and more. Visit stackadapt.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-A-D-A-P-T.com. All right, so... Uh, I feel like we don't have to catch up. If you're nerdy enough about ads, or if you're just a living, breathing human uh, in 2018, <laughs> you, you've probably heard uh, what's been going on. So uh, Nike put out an ad for the 30th anniversary of Just Do It, one of the most iconic campaigns and taglines uh, ever. Uh, they For their 30th, they rolled out an ad Several featuring several, uh, you know, athletes, including um, Serena Williams, but uh, Colin Kaepernick certainly was the most uh, visible and, and divisive in the sense that uh, he's been out of the NFL limelight for several years because he led the, uh, you know, he became the face of kneeling during the anthem in protest of police violence against uh, Black Americans, among other racial injustice issues. And uh, yeah, so it was it was quite dramatic. Uh, the Doug, you were the you wrote up those first set of ads and the TV spot that followed up a few days later. Right. Uh, remind us again what what is the what the creative looked like and and kind of what the setup here was of his relationship with Nike. Well, it's it, it, this to me goes back to the essence of what the brand stands for and the essence of you know looking in advertising. This this goes back to the roots of what. Nike is about. I mean, it's very simple. So, so what was launched in social in anticipation for this TV spot was simple close-up of Kaepernick and copy a swoosh and just do it. And as all of us know, or those of us who have seen it, the copy reads, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. So Kaepernick was the lead in this, but there are other athletes that are part of this campaign. And the TV spot gives a nod to those athletes. And it includes LeBron James, Serena Williams, and and a, 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 just a bunch of other professional athletes, amateurs. It included um, Rick Munoz, who was the HIV positive runner that was in a 1995 spot. Um, which was interesting too, just brief aside, he actually tweeted at Patrick Coffey and, uh, and Adweek thanking us for including him because what was interesting is he said they shot that in November of 1994 and he wasn't sure that Nike was going to run it in 1995 just because of the controversy that, you know, that, that would, that would ensue. So I thought that was really nice, but, but this is really, really, really powerful stuff. And I think, again, going back, if we're looking at this purely from a creative lens, 
what I like about this is the simplicity. And it goes back to the roots of what Nike was about, which was being that challenger, being bold, being brave. And if, and I worked for the, just brief disclosure, I worked for the company for like two and a half years. And the, the, one of the guiding principles, at least when I, when I was there and, and, and it, it still guides the company to this day is the founders uh, of the company. So not just necessarily Phil Knight, but Steve Prefontaine, who was a world-class runner. He was very much a rebel. Uh, Bill Bowerman, uh, also he was his coach at the university of Oregon. So the spirit of Steve Prefontaine just is permeating throughout all of this. And it's it's worth learning more about Pre because it, it gives you a little bit more of an idea of where Nike is coming from. Um, but he, the, he, he's been with the brand since 2011 and he hasn't played for a couple of years. And, you know, what do you do with an athlete that's not, that's not playing? So I think what's interesting here, one of the interesting, many interesting things is that we're getting into this uncharted territory where it's not just an athlete, it's, uh, you know, it's somebody who is looking to build a movement. And he's been doing that for a long time, uh, based on when he started kneeling for the national anthem in protest of racial injustice in the U.S. So, I, you know, if, if we're looking at this for, through the creative lens, very beautiful, very simple work. But man, does it, it, it's dense. I mean, the thing is, you have to watch it a few times. Just there, there's so much density to this thing. Um, and it's really powerful. Yeah, let's uh, let's listen to some of the TV spot uh, that debuted with the uh, kickoff of the NFL season. Here you go. Don't believe you have to be like anybody to be somebody. If you're born a refugee, don't let it stop you from playing soccer for the national team at age 16. Don't become the best basketball player on the planet. Be bigger than basketball. Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. So, uh, obviously, uh, backlash has been a big part of this story. Nike certainly knew, as did Wyden and Kennedy, uh, to give praise to the agency uh, that has worked with Nike for many decades uh, and put together the ads. Uh, they, they knew. They surely knew uh, what kind of backlash to expect. I, the biggest thing that surprised me was that uh, President Trump took a— you know, it took a little while to tweet about it. It took him, uh, you know, about a day and a half, which is a lot longer than I expected. When he did, he uh, he he has tweeted twice since then. Uh, later in the week, he said, uh, "What was Nike thinking?" Which is pretty pretty tight uh, for one of his tweets. The other one was much more verbose, uh, where he said, "You know, oh, they're just like the NFL, who's getting killed on ratings. Nike's getting killed with uh, protests and and boycott threats, uh, and obviously took them to task." This is one of uh, Trump's favorite issues to uh, to kind of dig in on, uh, kind of red meat for his base. Jason, let's talk about the NFL connection there because he very quickly did make this link to NFL ratings uh, being way down, which is, as we've talked about on the show, a it's a common Trump insult, right? It's like, your ratings are down. Your ratings are in the toilet. That's one of his favorite things to say. But what you've actually been coincidentally kind of looking into this issue of NFL ratings. What is the reality of, of NFL ratings? Yeah, so I, I uh, I'm writing a story uh, in in this week's issue about uh, about the the NFL ad sales market and, and ratings are certainly a part of that and there has been a lot of hand wringing in the last two years. NFL ratings are down. NFL ratings are down, 
And that is true. This, this, these ratings, which were getting higher and higher every year, um, you know, did have have dropped the, the last two years. But the reality is that that ratings drop is a little is fairly in line with linear ratings, you know, kind of eroding uh, across the board. And and in a lot of cases, uh, in a lot of networks, those drops are even bigger. So so you know, it's it's in it, it's reminded me about uh, people making a big deal. Uh, about Nike's stock dropping and saying that they drop it dropped because of, of of backlash and and in reality the the stocks for for kind of all the the shoe manufacturers manufacturers had kind of dropped a similar number so so um and so the and and those ratings drops you know from people that I I've been speaking to you know both buyers and people at the networks you know the feeling is that. That pro- the protest-related controversy has very little, if anything, to do with those rating drops, and more likely, what we're seeing is you know there's just such a proliferation of games right now in so many different windows. You know, you have Thursday night football being a much bigger deal now than it was just a couple of years ago. You have those Sunday morning occasional games out of London. You've got big packages on Sunday. You've got Monday night, Sunday night. So there are just so many different windows to kind of experience NFL in that, that it, it's getting, you know, it's getting overwhelming for some people. So that's certainly a part of it. You have a little bit about uh, concerns over concussions that that is a part of it. Um, so, you know, there, there, there's a couple different reasons and, and I think, you know, protest related controversy, if, if anything, is a very small reason why why ratings have been down. Yeah, it's in an industry where obviously ratings, as you mentioned, are dropping across the board on broadcast and have been for years. Um, but among that kind of lowering tide, it's still NFL still at the top of the heap in terms of uh, it, it, programming, it, right? It it is, and and that was actually the 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 big thing that I was I was uh, surprised about in my story. I really had thought between the ratings going down and between the uh, kind of skittishness on behalf of some advertisers last year um, and kind of the apex of, of, of the controversy last year when there were there were clients who went to a couple networks, NBC being one, and had threatened to pull out if coverage, in-game coverage of the protest continued. So I really thought going into this year when we knew that this was still going to be a hot-button topic because, as we've mentioned before, this is a go-to, this is kind of a, a, a go-to message for Trump. He tweets about it at least, you know, every few weeks. He likes it bring it up at rallies. The NFL owners did themselves no favors, kind of arguably in May when, when they announced a new policy regarding uh, conduct during the anthem that, um, you know, probably, you know, I, I would say would, would have ultimately caused more harm than good. And they've, they've suspended that for now. But given all of this, all, everything that's going on, uh, demand going into this year was was as strong as, as ever among clients. Um, and some even were more interested in the NFL this year because it is still um, – you know the, the the highest rated show on programming on TV, uh, Fox's uh, America's Game of the Week, which is their afternoon package. It is uh, it th- that is the most watched show um, on TV all year long on the on the primetime side. Uh, Sunday Night Football uh, was tops again last season in the eighteen forty nine demo. So yes, ratings are down. Um, but it's still the biggest game in town uh, for uh, when when it comes to TV and TV ratings. 
Now, what's fascinating to me is the NFL did put out a statement this week saying the social justice issues that Colin and other professional athletes have raised deserve our attention and action. Uh, so, you know, I, and this there, there's no real motivation here beyond the ad. Uh, I mean, certainly that doesn't take away from anything that Kaepernick or the other players have, have done and have sacrificed. Um, but this was the catalyst, clearly, that got uh, the, the league to acknowledge that, you know, it's, it's not against Kaepernick necessarily, even if they are literally in a lawsuit at the moment over uh, allegations of collusion by Kaepernick. Uh, so they are uneasy allies in this kind of like Trump's attacking both of them, the NFL and uh, Kaepernick and Nike. And, you know, at best, this is an uneasy alliance, uh, given that some of the other, uh, you know, aspects of this. But Diana, you've been talking to brand CMOs, experts on these issues. In general, do people feel that Nike made the right move? I mean, we had people burning their shoes over this, and you're kind of uh, more than more than usual boycott threats. Uh, but how do other people in the marketing industry feel about it? Yeah, I spoke to quite a few marketers about this, and I not a single one said that they thought this was a bad idea. I mean, everybody you know noted Nike's huge size and their massive scale, and um, also their history of you know social activism and pushing causes in their advertising that kind of laid a foundation that allowed them to do this. Um, and yes, there's been some backlash and some people, um, you know, burning shoes, but there's also been an overwhelmingly positive reaction. And, you know, people are talking about the ad. It got, it propelled the NFL to put out a statement, as you said. Um, so it really sounds like Nike did the right thing. That's what all the marketers I talked to said. And that, you know, being a part of the conversation is better than shying away because then people are talking about you, people are noticing you, um, and it's a way for your brand to stand out. I gotta think. I gotta think too that there, there's got to be a tremendous amount of data that pointed to you know what this is actually a really good thing for you to do. Nike doesn't do anything uh, on a whim. I mean, obviously most brands don't. But I have to think, and I have no inside skinny on this, that there there must have been a lot of uh, you know deep look into the data. Uh, you know, we're thinking of doing this. What do we? You know, what does the data tell us? I, and I, I got to think that that's that has a lot to do with this as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this isn't their first rodeo, especially no. like I said they <laughs> they have a history of of doing things that you know push the envelope. So um, I have to imagine a lot of research and planning went into this, and you know. Nobody I spoke to thinks it will have any sort of long-term negative effect on the brand, if anything, a long-term positive effect. And I'll also say that the, the timing on this could not have been uh, more perfect on Nike's part to the rollout for this campaign. You know, first with the print ad uh, about a week ago, and then and then the the uh, the TV ad. You know, a day before it aired on on opening night of, of of this NFL season, because this is the time this week. You know, the 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 season NFL season's about to start. Nobody, you know, everybody's optimistic about their teams. Nobody really knows how things are gonna are are, are gonna shake out. Uh, there haven't been any real big injuries yet. So this was kind of like the perfect time as we're getting into the season, about to dive in for this ad to kind of come and have everybody talk about it. Had it dropped last, you know, next week or in, in a couple of weeks, um, there would have already been so much kind of noise about the NFL season. Yes, it would have made a splash, but it would have been somewhat muted where it kind of had all the oxygen in the room to itself this week. Well, serendip- serendipity sometimes plays a role as well because this is the 30th anniversary of Just Do It. So... It, it was like the perfect storm, it felt like. The uh, you know interesting thing to me that Doug and I were talking about uh, earlier today is that I, th- I feel like 
if you look at controversy involving brands, right, there's there it typically falls into two categories. Unintentional, where they do something stupid uh, or they just don't <laughs> think through the consequences of how it could be interpreted. And they end up deep in this controversy. Let's think. Pepsi, right? Like, so you make a you make an ad about Black Lives Matter, and you it's tone deaf, and you don't know what you're doing, and you end up spending the next year or two being a laughing stock. Uh, you know, that's a worst case scenario. Um, but but that's typically what we think of when we think of controversy. The other the other side of the coin is manufactured, kind of desperate. Uh, controversy, which is my least favorite. These are the ones who say, like, oh, we created a Super Bowl ad that was banned from running during the Super Bowl because it's so, so salacious or it's so whatever. Man, they they didn't have the money to buy that. They just sent it into the network so it would get rejected to give them a talking point and say it was banned. You know, that kind of thing. It's like we created this highly offensive campaign because they think that that's the only way they can get their money's worth is to generate controversy. I feel like Nike is kind of pioneering a new course. They're rewriting the playbook a bit here where it's like we're going to strategically generate controversy, not because we have to, not because we don't know better, <laughs> like, like because right. we know we know what will happen. It's a manufactured, uh, you know, it's not manufactured in the sense it's a debate, but it's a conscious choice. Uh, but it's one that is, is you know, they, they pr- probably, to Doug's point, they've planned it as much as they can. But it's it's a bit of a, you know, you let this one out of the box and you don't really know where it's going to go. But it, it, it was a calculated risk that they were willing to take. And that's the trend I wonder if we'll see more of is brands acknowledging like we know that this person is controversial, but we are willing to ride out that controversy and to be a part of it and to be a central part of it and to be in the crosshairs of a Donald Trump tweet or two, you know. Um, well, here's here's what here's what I think. Um so it can this year. I was at a panel. Uh, Mark Pritchard was on a panel um, at the Spotify um, activation there. And it, it was a panel about the talk. And what was interesting is that, and I'm pulling up the quote right now, he said, this is not the time to be unclear on what your point of view is and what side of history you choose to be on. And then there was another thing that he said that was really interesting. And actually, it's actually worth reading this because it does it does show like, no, we, we knew what we were getting ourselves into and we really got ourselves ready for this. Um, he also, what, what also did he say? Um, he said, you know, if not, if not now, when, if not us, then who? So we doubled down. So to, to your point, David, I think Nike is entering a new territory with an, with an individual. I think P&G entered a new era with an overall issue. So I, I think it's very interesting. I think these are two brands definitely to take, take a look at that you know, this, we could look at this year as marking the beginning of something. Now you look at brands like Patagonia, that's baked into their, you know, baked into their DNA. But some of these brands that are more traditionally, you know, not like a Patagonia, uh, it's interesting to see that this could be the new baseline moving forward. And Diana, what do you think? You Are brands, I mean, P&G is a good, a good example that Doug brings up where you could kind of say, well, Nike's always been a bold brand, but P&G to create the talk, uh, which, you know, to clarify for those who might not be familiar with it, this was the long-form spot that P&G made for its uh, My Black is Beautiful campaign about parents having the talk with their uh, black children about uh, everything from racism to uh, being stopped by police. And it, it notably includes the line, you know, this this isn't about you getting a ticket. This is about you not coming home uh, and referencing the, the sometimes fatal violence against uh, black Americans. Uh, so they... 
to Doug's point, didn't pull any punches. Do you think we're going to see more brands stepping out on that limb? I do. And I think having brands like Nike and P&G that are such powerhouses kind of open the door will allow and sort of start to normalize this kind of discussion in advertising, um, will open the door for maybe smaller brands that don't quite have as big of a reach as a Nike or a P&G um, to feel more comfortable doing so. So I think this is definitely, I don't want to say the start of a trend, but a shift into just brands being a little more vocal. I guess my hope in this too is that is that it doesn't get gimmicky, right? Well, it's like, well, you know, we're, we're going to be like Nike. We're going to be like P&G and we're going to do this. I, I'm, I, I'll be interested to see, you know, the, the A word that we like to throw around, around in this industry, authenticity. I mean, that's going to be, you legitimately have to be authentic in, in all of this. So it'll be interesting to see what other brands try to, you know, dip their toe in. But I, I also think, that if you're a brand, if you try to just dip your toe into this instead of throwing yourself into the deep end of the pool, you're not going to have the material impact or benefit. That's when you end up being Pepsi, right? Uh, it all comes back around to Pepsi, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> Um, well, we have so much more uh, we could be talking about. This is obviously a, you know, I, I, I said this uh, on Twitter and, and it sparked some conversation there, but I, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, you know, kind of like Doug, I've been in this industry for a long time uh, covering advertising. And I can't think of a, a situation like this where an ad uh, sparked this level of consternation and public debate and serious debate and rallying around different sides of an issue like this. I mean, certainly some have tried, uh, but but generally when you think about brands getting into a sort of an advocacy role or stepping into a social issue, it's usually like Coke running a Super Bowl ad that says, we should all be nice to each other. Right. You know, and, it's, yep. it's not exactly like a hot take. Uh, this This <laughs> is one where it's just like, and it really also highlights that individuals are really, you know, you saw this with the parodies people made, right, of, of the ad. So this is one of those ads that instantly sparks a lot of no, satire, some, like there, a bunch of people made ones with Thanos from, uh, from the Avengers, uh, where he's saying, like, you know, sacrificing everything. Um, but, uh, but then later it, you saw Donald Trump Jr. made one, made a version of the ad with his dad, uh, you know, with the president. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know exactly what he supposedly sacrificed. <laughs> but the, um, you know, it, there's been versions someone made with Alex Jones. And with, you know, it's just like people are, are recognizing that this idea of an individual representing the the polarization is, you know, that's that's new. That's different. Um, it's, you know, there's certainly been people like that in the past, but I think we are at the apex of that of that scenario. Um, anyway, like I said, we could keep talking uh, for hours about this. It's certainly been one of the biggest advertising stories and, and has, you know, expanded into it's a TV story and it's uh, it's everything. It's everywhere. Uh, so, you know, if anything, I guess I got to say congratulations to Nike, to Wyden and Kennedy for creating a cultural touchstone that, I mean, I thought Fearless Girl kind of set that bar and <laughs> this really just yep. like dwarfs that uh, of, of, you know, so um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see where this goes from here. And I, I, I think we all agree this is going to be one that on the awards circuit uh, is just going to tear everything to pieces. It's going to, uh, to dominate everything. Uh, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine anything on this scale. Uh, it's, it's everything that advertising award shows live to honor. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, check out, uh, adweek.com. Got so many stories you can check out there and we're going to keep covering it as more bubbles up. You can send us your thoughts to uh, podcast at adweek.com. It's podcast at adweek.com. Speaking of which, we're coming up 
hot and fast on our 100th episode, and we want to answer your questions. Uh, so hit that email, podcast at adweek.com, with anything you want to know about advertising, about us, about podcasting, about uh, the magazine, uh, about your industry and where things are headed. We will tackle as many questions as we physically can. Uh, we did this with our 50th episode, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to doing it with our 100th. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, well, we are we are out of time. Uh, so big thanks, uh, Diana. Thanks for coming on for the first time, and we'll definitely have you back soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jason, always a pleasure having you on. Yeah, great to be here. All right, well, we will be back soon. Our theme music is by Home. This episode was edited by Lane McGibney and produced by Anya Fernando. Please take a moment, uh, if you have not already, to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, those reviews mean a lot to us personally. They also help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Grinder with Adweek. We'll be back next week. <laughs>